0: Let's, let's just bow our heads. Father, in a time with all kinds of stuff going around us that might scream everything but peace, as we wait and we claim the promise of the Christ child and the fullness of that in time when you yourself will reclaim this earth, we wait in peace in our hearts As your people, in Christ's name, Amen. A few years back, I was um, looking at things at my house, and as I looked at the shrubs in front of our house, they—you know how they kind of get overgrown. And I was a kid who grew up with my parents, who um, would move every five years or so, so I never saw anything getting overgrown. You know, you just move to a new place, and it was all in shape and. I didn't know you had to take care of things like that, so I'm looking at that going, this doesn't look right, and I don't know when to cut them, what to do, you know, so I thought instead of the internet and that process, because I don't like to wait, I'm not a real patient guy, I called up um, Joe Miller in our church, who, and some of you know Joe, he's from Australia, he grew up um, in and in taking care of an orchard with his family, and, you know, if you meet him, he's an usher, and he'll, he'll say things like, good day, mate, you know, and it, so he's pretty easy to recognize, um, and, and so he came over and was looking at our shrubs and he was kind of helping me and I was learning to cut them back and eventually I just got wise I go, you know what, Joe, let me pay you to do whatever you need to do to make this look good. And he at one point was showing me the trees that had been 20 years old and, and they had never been trimmed and I thought, you know, trees just are trees. You just let me, he goes, you know, they, they could really use a thinning out. I said, oh, Okay what does that entail? And you know, I goes through and you take out all these, you know, he's showing me how to pick all the branches, because he said, if the light gets in there, they're healthier. I thought, okay, and then I showed him some of the fruit trees, and they had never been tending. One of the fruit trees was like, bad shape, and so I said, could you, could you maybe shape that? Because I've seen fruit trees in orchards before, and they look really, they're kind of, you know, they're nicely shaped, and He kind of said, well, we'll we'll do what we can um, in shaping that, but it'll take years to reshape that. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, maybe a couple years. I mean, just a few years? uh, No years. I, I said, you mean, like, years? Like, I may not be living here in this house years? Yeah. And I said, you mean, like, I might not even be alive years? Yeah. And it hit me. Sometimes the reshaping and the work of bringing things to the place they need to be takes time and sometimes the time is such that you might not even be there when it takes shape years ago god this great gardener comes to the prophet isaiah and to a king named hezekiah who lived in a land that is called judah and in that land is a city jerusalem and he came with a message and, and that message was a Christmas message that said, I am in the process of reshaping you as a people. And, and he calls people, and sometimes nations, trees. And, and the reason, if you look through scripture, he'll talk about um, trees, is it was a very easy analogy. In fact, in that day... And you still go to parts of the world. When I went over to Mongolia and visited George and Terry when they were in the work over there, they have these trees all over the place that people worship because trees were sturdy. They were there for generations. They were there before you were there. And they would sometimes not just venerate, but actually worship these trees. Well, So in that day, trees were really important. So he would would talk about trees, and and we talk about family trees, right? Well, family trees are basically, if you think about it, they were families and then became tribes, and tribes became kind of people around cities, city-states, and city-states became nations, and he would talk in Scripture. So when you see in Scripture sometimes the language that's hard to understand, he's talking about trees, he's talking about nations. So he says to Isaiah in chapter 10, verse 33, through verse 11 one, See, the Lord the Lord Almighty will lop off the, the boughs with great power, and the lofty trees will be felled, and the tall ones will be brought low. He's not talking here. He's talking poetically of these nations and peoples. And he will cut down the forest thickets with an axe in Lebanon, which was known for these incredible trees that they would use around the world. Some places have certain resources where they had trees. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And that was an important word there, the stump of Jesse. Because in that day, they knew who Jesse was. It would be like referring to someone of a great personage, like a Michael Jordan, Abraham Lincoln, someone who did something grand and and incredible. And in that day, Jesse's son, David, so that line, David came, and he was the king of all kings. He extended the kingdom. He was the one that, that that as his kingdom grew he gave to his son Solomon all the glory of of that kingdom was known around the world so they couldn't wait for that day to come again a shoot, a leader, someone is going to be coming to you from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit so let me just set the stage I shared with someone after the service it was a really good message once you got going so I, I know what that means <laughs> that means um you need to hang with me a little bit because I, I have to do a little history, okay, we got to do a little setting up of context so um so those of you you know, we're talking about waiting, so you have to wait through this, okay. You see, a number of years before this passage was given, and Isaiah gave this as a prophecy, he was preaching. Isaiah, look at him as a preacher prophet who would teach and and talk about Before it was given, there were two kingdoms. There was was one united kingdom, but at a certain point, there was a divide. There was a civil war. and, And in Israel, the northern kingdom with Samaria as its capital, divided off from the southern kingdom, Judah, with its capital, Jerusalem. So you have a civil war. And unlike our civil war that tried where the south tried to secede, from the um, the north, it actually, the north seceded from the south, and you established two kingdoms. And during that time, it weakened that empire, and many of the smaller kingdoms, nations, trees, would kind of come together in a little forest grove to protect themselves from some bigger trees, like an army of Assyria that came from the north. And Assyria came from the north, and they came through a land called Aram, where there was Damascus. And he began to march through Aram-Damascus and defeated Aram-Damascus and defeated um, eventually that northern kingdom of Samaria so that all that was left was Judah, little Judah, this little land with these people with a fortified, large capital city, Jerusalem. And the leader of Assyria, was, his name was Sennacherib. And he had begun this military campaign against the southern kingdom, and he had attacked and captured almost all of the fortified cities. In fact, I think most all of them in Judah had been, had been razed to the ground, and he had positioned himself just outside the city walls of this fortified city, this capital Jerusalem, with King Hezekiah inside. And King Hezekiah is doing all that he can. Even before that, he had tried to buy off the king of Sennac- you know, King, the leader of of, of Syria, Sennacherib by by giving him silver that he found in the palace in the temple, and eventually stripped some of the gold from the temple of God in order to try and kind of pay the taxes, kind of leave us alone. And and in that period of time, if you read First Kings or Chronicles, you'll see the story of this. In fact, you find in Second Kings 18. If you want to read at some point, but but we also have extant literature, which means archaeologically they have found some historical records, and there's records of Sennacherib himself. He kept journals. Those guys would keep journals because they wanted people to know how incredibly great they were, and they would write in their journals. And Sennacherib, in his his archives, he claims to have captured 46 of Hezekiah's. Forty um, fortified cities. And he writes, as well as numerous unprotected villages along the way. It was like, you know, you know it, like you see those um, grasshoppers, you just kind of go through, those locusts, they just go through. And, they, and that's what this army was like that, coming through. And he records having taken over 200,000 people captive. He actually gives the exact number. And the great tree of Israel, in a sense, has been cut down to a stump all that's left is this stump, a remnant of people. People from the north came to the city of Jerusalem. People from these other fortified cities and towns came. So Jerusalem's jam-packed with people. And God is saying there's a stump, there's a remnant. In fact, Sennacherib writes this of Hezekiah. This is in his annals. It says, "A prisoner. He was a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. What's interesting, though, is Sennacherib never goes on in any of his records to state that he had captured Jerusalem, and Scripture also says that. So you have this this point in in in. in in history, where there's the leader, the field commander of Sennacherib, has got the army positioned around this fortified city, Jerusalem. Hezekiah's is inside, Isaiah's is inside, and, and the field commander comes up to the wall and he says to them, basically surrender. Here's what it says if you read in 2 Kings 18 28 through 30. He's standing there at the wall. People can hear what's going on between the officers of Hezekiah and the field commander and officers of Sennacherib. You know how they get together and they're coming together says, before we attack you, let's have a little talk. Now in that day they would use Aramaic and the people in Jerusalem in that city would not understand Aramaic. It wasn't until times later in the time of Christ that Aramaic became a very common language. But here they would speak in Aramaic and that was more of an official language not known by the people. But the leader of Sennacherib, the field commander, comes up and he starts speaking in Hebrew so all the people can hear it. And they're going, no, please, let's speak in Aramaic. He goes, no, no, no. Because he wanted to scare the people. And he says, "Here the word of the great king, King of Assyria. this is what the king says, "Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when He says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of King of Assyria." And he's basically saying, "What I want you guys to do is give up, give in, Hoist the white flag. Tap out, whatever you want to use, you know It's over. And so they bring the news back to King Hezekiah and we read in Hezekiah 2 Kings 19 verses 6 and 7 that Hezekiah goes into the temple of God, falls on his knees before God, shaking and says, God, you've got to help us. Please come and answer this prayer. Isaiah comes to him with a message and says, don't worry. Guess what's going to happen? Um, the Lord says, don't be afraid. You don't need to live in fear. These underlings of the king of Assyria are actually going to be um, these ones who have blasphemed me. They're going to hear a certain report and at a certain point, they're going to go back to their land and in a little bit of time, Sennacherib himself will be put to death. So he's given this message, and he has to trust this message. And during that time of that message, we also read these words in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33, verses 11 through 3. It's what I call Isaiah's um, great horticultural Christmas um, encouragement. It's a promise of God's protection and provision to a king who's shaking and afraid who's been given a message, he has to wait on one. And in this message, listen to what it says, See the Lord Almighty that will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low, and he will cut down the forest thickets with an axe, and Lebanon will be fall before the mighty one. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And it just goes on and on and explains this incredible leader who's coming. And when they hear the fact, and they hear someone preaching the fact that this leader is going to come who's going to lead them out of all this, as they've seen the devastation of their, their own cities and of their, 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 their brother kind of nation, you know, Israel ahead of them and the nations around them, and they hear this, they're going, When? This is so cool. I can't wait. And here's what you unwrap at Christmas. When we talk about unwrapping Christmas, last week we talked about, we find this God full of humility. On this passage, and as you look around at Christmas, I could point to all kinds of things. You see this God of incredible patience. This God is not in a hurry. This God who's doing a work and who's going to take his time in preparation and planning and working it out, and along the way gives signs and helps us believe and trust, and along the way is working to bring about what he's always planned, bringing even his son someday coming again. And you see this God who's not rushed. Note these words. In chapter 10, verse 33, and then the, the very first word, and then you look at chapter 11, verse 1, the very last word, and you see the word see, and then it ends with fruit. As I was studying this and thinking about this, what, um, what amazed me was from the word see to the word fruit is actually 700 years. And we read it, and we just go, oh, yeah, sea fruit, yeah, oh, cool. You know, that was 700 years. God is actually saying to Hezekiah and to the people, he says, guess what, I got a gift for you. I can't wait for you to unwrap it. But you're going to have to wait 700 years. That's two and a half times longer than we've been around as a nation. I was thinking about it, it would be as if God said to a group of peasants in England and throughout Europe around the year 1000, he came to a group and said, guess what, I'm going to give you in your future generations this incredible gift. It will be a nation of freedom and opportunity and privilege and wealth. And then it didn't happen until 1776. That gives you a little bit of the flavor of those three verses from seed of fruit is 700 years. When you unwrap Christmas, you find a God incredibly full of patience. You find a God who doesn't seem to be in a hurry, who's very deliberate, knows what he's going to do, nothing can stop him. And not only do you find a God whose thoughts are not our thoughts, but his ways aren't our ways. He's patient, he's long-suffering, he's never in a hurry, but he's always on time. He's always on time. We get anxious and in a rush, and yet God says, if you read Second Peter, don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He's patient with you. God's been patient with you. He's patient with me. Which I just got to say, how about you and me with others? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to come into a place of real hardship and suffering, in fact, not wanting them to be eternally cut off from his presence. But everyone to come to repentance. He waits so that no one, he says, would perish. We, in our impatience, get rude and judgmental and angry, right? And not so with God. Romans two four says that he waits with a kindness that is meant to lead us to his uh, to a sense of repentance. And, and I find myself when I'm in a place of waiting, I, I, I begin to start thinking, well, how can I change this? How can I? I, I? We're all kind of control freaks, right? How can we control? How can we manipulate? How can we get kind of what we think we want to get to? Even if it means using people or using whatever we should and and. And yet we read that God is just so full of patience that he doesn't manipulate in the sense of um, using and hurting people. But when the time had fully come, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, sending the spirit of his son into our hearts, says in Galatians 4. So when you unwrap Christmas, when we unwrap Christmas this year, you find a God waiting patiently, teaching us to wait patiently. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, The Lord still waits for you to come to him so that he can show you his love. This is in the Living Bible. He will conquer you to bless you, just as he said, for the Lord is faithful to his promise. So he starts out blessed, uh, blessed uh, yet the Lord waits for you, and then he ends it with, blessed are those who wait for him to help them. Isn't that interesting that God waits right now, sometimes in many cases, for us to wait upon him? Because there's so many things he wants to do in our life and teach us. So what do you do while you wait? Have you thought about that? That's really what I want to talk about this morning. What do you do in that three verses, which are 700 years from sea to fruit, what does the scripture have to say? And what do we find from this passage of scripture? Whether you've been waiting... 70 weeks, or it's just 70 days. 70 years, or maybe you are just a part of a process of reshaping that you will never see it fully reshaped. What do you do while you wait? Our sense of timing has become so warped because we are are growing faster and faster, aren't we? We're addicted to speed. There is a need for speed. We just, you know, Fast and Furious is not just a movie. It's a life. I was thinking about that in regard to even computers. Think about computers for a second. Computers are interesting because inside them is built a thing called a processor, right? And, and the whole idea of a processor is that it is somehow supposed to take what comes in and process it so that it can actually export, give out what's been brought in. And I was thinking about the processors because I remember. You remember, you would you would get on a computer and you'd put something in and then you'd have to wait. You'd see thing going like this. Sometimes minutes. And everybody's going, we got to get this faster. Do you know that in 1995, just 20 years ago, you were on the cutting edge with a 400 megabyte hard drive and a 33 megahertz processor? Today, you wouldn't be caught dead with that. Couldn't run half of what you got in those computers. Today, you can get a a one terabyte drive, which is one million megabytes up from 400, and a 4,000 megahertz processor, up from 4,000 megahertz processor. Because we live for speed. We want everything fast. I was, uh, just about a year or so ago, my daughter, my oldest daughter was in China, and it was um, later at night. I was just getting ready to go to bed, and I heard my phone make a little ding noise that tells me that there was a text message. I looked at it, and it was for my daughter, who's over in China. I thought, that's interesting. So she had a question, so I kind of typed back about four or five words, hit the send button, thinking it would probably be about ten minutes before I hear from her again. Within a minute, I got a response back from her. And I responded back. And I just thought to myself, that, I just I just thought, this is incredibly amazing. My grandmother, her, my my. my, my I had a grandmother who was born in the 1800s. They would, back then, they would actually take and they would write on a piece of paper. Anybody, anybody remember how you write? <laughs> and they would take this piece of paper and fold it up. They'd actually put it in an envelope and they would mail it with a stamp. And if you were to send it to China, it would have to go across, you know, with I don't know what they would take it, you know, back then. Western Union would get it to a ship and a ship for a couple of months would get it over there and they would get there. And eventually, they would get up maybe three months later. And I thought to myself, here I am. I'm sitting here talking, in a sense, to my daughter in China. And I'm pressing something. It goes to a tower a few miles away, which goes to a satellite, which goes to a tower a few miles away. And within a minute, of time, it's like, boom, it's there. And God gives you a present this year. And the present is the word, wait. In some of your lives, the presence that God is giving you is patience. He's teaching you to wait on him. He's teaching you to possibly wait on someone else. He's giving you a real slow processor. So what do you do while you wait? What do you do in the meantime? And and I thought, wow, I think what God often calls us to do is is to keep occupied, right? Now, if you're going to, like, um, some of you are parents, and if you're going to go somewhere with your kids and you know you're going to have to wait for 30 minutes or more, what do you do? You would be silly not to bring, like, a coloring book or a video thing to play with, right? You bring them something to keep them occupied while they wait. Airlines do that. In fact, you know, it's a kind of a funny thing. Airlines even have now realized that people, when they not just waiting to get on the plane, but when they get on the plane, they're waiting to get where they're going, right? And so they've come up with this idea that, that it's a really neat thing. They actually are putting video screens on every, the back of every seat, right? Now, you might be thinking they're doing that because they're trying to make you, you know, really, like, this is another great privilege and honor. You know, they're doing it for themselves. Why? they don't want you to be grumpy and complaining. They're giving you these things and putting them there because they know that it's important to keep you occupied while you wait. So God says, I think in a very similar way, as you open this gift this year, and you say, and it's still waiting, and God's saying, wait. He says, here's some things I want you to do while you wait to keep occupied. And the very first thing while you wait that I think God will often call people to do, is you look at what he called Hezekiah to do, he prayed for God's will. Very first thing, he just prays for God's will, which is a really important thing to do. Because whether you're going through a trial and you're praying for that to end, or whether you're waiting on someone else, or whether you're single and you're waiting to you know, get married or you want a promotion, whatever it is, you, you can wait in lots of different ways. But one of the ways he always wants you to wait is to pray for God's will. Because sometimes when we're waiting and we're praying for something, the very thing we're praying for may not be the very thing that God wants us to have. What I think I need may not be what God thinks is best for me to have and I've experienced that I remember at one point in my ministry going through a very difficult trial a number of years back in another ministry and and it was just very painful and I was praying God for a specific thing to happen and it didn't happen and I was just like I can't believe it but I can tell you today I'm so grateful that God didn't answer that prayer Because of all the other things that God had in store for me and planned for me that I would not have experienced. And I look back at that and I go, thank you, God, that as I was praying, even though I came through a point of disappointment, I continued to pray for your will, I continued to seek your will, and you continued to lead me to exactly what you wanted me to be led to. I encourage you, if you're not praying for God's will, it's really easy to miss sometimes what God wants to do. And so one of the first things I encourage you to do is pray for God's will. Because some of you can recall that you will look back and go, praise God, when I was thinking at this point that I wanted this job, thank God he didn't give me that one. You may have been praying for a job and it was only a month or two later that the, the business that you were completely went down and under, right? It could be you were praying for someone... And you're you're asking God for this person in in your life, and you want to get married, and that didn't happen. And now today, you look back as you're married, and you go, praise God, that wasn't the answer. So pray for God's will. While you wait, here's another thing you can do keep occupied. Get yourself ready for God's answer. It's really important um, to understand that waiting isn't a passive activity. It is possible to be very active in the midst of it. For Hezekiah, it meant prayer. It meant for him to get his heart in a place so that God could answer the very first thing that he was going to be doing in his life and that it would lead to what he was leading to eventually for the nation of Israel. And what I want to do often is I externalize and I kind of try and mess with everything out here. You know, I think one of the best ways to get ready for God's answer is to begin to pray and say, God, what do I need to prepare about me? What is it you're trying to do in me in this situation? I mean, sometimes when I've talked to people and they want a promotion and you can do all kinds of things and you can actually try and control and manipulate and make those things happen. I think waiting sometimes while you wait doesn't mean you're passive and you're active, but all you do is be the best employee you can be and, and, and just show up and do the things you need to do. If you are in a position where you need to get some skills, get some skills. There are things you can do that you need to do to keep occupied while you wait. And so you can ask God, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get ready in my heart for this? Talk sometimes with people who, you know, I know um, in in, in a place where you're maybe single and you want companionship, um, sometimes you'll talk with people, and I've had opportunities, and the person will say to me, I'm really looking for someone with no debt who has kept themselves pure and know where they're going. And sometimes I want to ask them, and they're in this process of waiting, well, do you have no debt? Have you kept yourself pure? Do you have a sense of where you're going? See, while you wait and you're looking for this, there are things you can do to get yourself ready. And then there's another thing while you wait, um, and I think this is really interesting when I look at this passage of Scripture be willing to be a part of the process. Be willing to say, God, I'm going to show up and do whatever you want me to do today, even as you're in the process of bringing this to fruition. Because what I find interesting about the promise to Hezekiah is that the remnant, they would never see the fruit. When he said, see, begin to start looking, the fruit that comes some seven or eight, they never saw it. They were a stump from which a shoot would grow, and sometimes a shoot takes a long time to get to the place it's a tree and eventually bear fruit, right? Part of waiting requires being a servant and remembering, again, it's not about me. As I pray for God's will and I I get myself ready, I understand that even what I might be praying for here, I may only be praying for and a part of because God may still, even when I'm not here or a part of it, be asking me to do something in the meantime. I'm a link in the chain of where it's going. I, I think of the great cathedrals in, in, in Europe. In the middle, medieval times, you know, they would go and the, these cities would get a patron who would pay money and they'd build these re- cathedrals. Well, a historian says the building of great cathedrals was a reflection of people's faith. It was a community effort. Cathedrals often took centuries to complete. In fact, the one in Köln, Germany, you know how, anyone want to guess how long that took? 600 years can you imagine rallying a group together and saying, this is really exciting, even the guy who's paying for it. And, and they get everybody together and they go, let's build it, and you're going to do this much. You're just a part in the process of something that people much later are going to enjoy. Most people who worked on it, he, it says one historian, never expected to see the finished product in their, um, pro- uh, finished in their lifetime. And, and he says, being involved in the construction of a cathedral, even as a building patron, required a willingness to be a part of the process that was larger than oneself. And I thought about this. While you wait, are you willing to be a part of something that might be larger than yourself? What if God is doing something in, you, in your life, in your family, that he is working and building and developing that you won't see but your grandchildren will experience? Are you willing to be faithful? While you wait, are you willing to say, God, I'll pray for your will. I'll ask you to do what you need to do in me. And as I ask that to happen, I will also serve you enjoy knowing that you have a promise and if I'm not a part of the fulfillment at least I'm gonna give what I need to so that it will be fulfilled there's people who helped build this church who never got to experience what you are enjoying the opportunity to to be in a community of faith I mean we are looking as a church of doing some expansion and and some work and and you might go I'm not gonna be I don't have kids in it Is God speaking to your heart just to be faithful? What if the remnant here gave up and gave in and said, ah, forget it. All that we enjoy is because there are people who remain faithful and God made faithful. Think of how many gifts you enjoy every day because someone else was willing to wait. And say, it's not about me. I'm just willing to do my part, God. While you wait, I'd encourage you to open your eyes to God's present goodness. I don't know if you're like, I share in the first service, sometimes some messages are, are not too difficult to write because all I have to do is go, what do I need? Because I'm not a patient guy. And when you're not a very patient person and you're a very focused person, sometimes you start praying for something and you can't get your eye off of that. You know, Anybody have a dog that has a bone? You know, it's like... And, and sometimes God is saying, "Look at, I just want you to relax a little." And and the word when it says "see," it means look with your heart. It's not saying look physically. He's saying with your heart, begin to look and see the things that God is doing. There's another passage scripture a little later in Isaiah chapter 40. I think it's 43 that says, "Forget the former things." Um, put your eyes on the future things and look what I'm doing. He says at a certain point, he says, do you not perceive it? He's not saying, do you not see with your physical eyes? He's saying with your heart, do you see what you're doing? One of the things we're going to do this January, and I want to just call you to think about this. This January as a church, we're going to start the first week and we're going to talk about beginning right from the very beginning with God in prayer. And we're going to take that week and we might do some fasting if you want to be a part of it, but we're going to ask the church congregation to come along that because what we would like to do in this next year is seek God together and to pray together and say, God, what is it you will for us in the coming year? We want to start off on a good foot. So I just encourage you to be praying and thinking about that. But as you do so, one of the things that, that if you're like me, one of the things you need to do is is look around at the things that God is doing right now in your life and give him thanks and see the signs of his goodness. Hezekiah saw God actually work and take that whole army, pull them back, and eventually Sennacherib dies, and, and Jerusalem never falls. And yet he's still looking for a promise to come. The last thing I just want to share with you is um, in this time while you wait, and there's a number of other things you can do, I I would encourage you to continually give thanks to God, remember him, because when you're waiting sometimes, you think that God, because he's waiting, he's slow um, to do something. You think maybe he doesn't like you or he doesn't care about your situation. That's never the case. He loves you deeply. But one of the things I want you to do this Christmas is to allow someone else to unwrap a gift and the gift that you might give you might need to give this year is the ability to be patient to someone else in that scripture it's a stump and one of the real cool things about that is that God could have easily let the stump be just torn from the roots and said I'm done with Israel they just don't listen again and again can you imagine if God did that to you or to me he continues to forgive he continues to show kindness he continues to be slow in order there will be repentance. And I don't know what waiting looks like for you. It doesn't mean being, again, we say a doormat. It means, waiting means loving sometimes people with putting up really good boundaries or speaking truth into a situation. But it always means looking at what is good for them and reacting in a way, or really responding in a way the Spirit says. How do you give them patience, working with them, that they might respond to the kindness of God that you've experienced they could fear feel it in their life we're going to sing a song a, a carol um, to close and I've asked Jeff if he would come and lead us in that I'm going to ask you to stand and it's a, it's it's a old traditional come thou long expected Jesus is yearning for God and I don't know where God has spoken to you this morning but if God has said, you know, there's someone in your life where he's saying, I want you to give grace and peace and patience to that person. And then and someone just comes up to you, I just, I, I just pray that you'll do that. Or if God is saying, you know what, I love you. What you're in, just pursue me and get yourself ready. And unwrap this gift of patience.